Welcome to Capital Considerations, the podcast that takes complex ideas from the investment world and makes them accessible to everyone. I'm your host, Tony Roth, Chief Investment Officer of Wilmington Trust. Today we have a very topical episode that relates directly to what's going on in our country right now from an economic standpoint. Our episode today spotlights the Paycheck Protection Program, otherwise known as PPP, which was a very critical provision in the Corona virus aid relief and economic security act known as the cares act and we have two guests today to talk to us about this topic the ppp first we're joined by Anne marie lee an associate general counsel with m&t bank's legal department and a member of the bank's ppp leadership team within the business banking and retail division Anne marie will help answer a few of the ppp questions that are top of mind for business owners trying to figure out how to navigate the program. And for listeners who may not be aware, Wilmington Trust is the investment arm and wealth management arm of M&T Bank. M&T Bank itself is the number five SBA lender in the country year to date, and number 10 in terms of total loan dollars issued under the Payment Protection Program. At times like this, One of the things that's very advantageous for us on the Wilmington Trust side as investors is to be able to see the economy through the lens of our commercial bank. As you might expect, the commercial bank has many, many clients engaged in all different aspects of the economy. We can learn so much from a grassroots standpoint as investors by dialoguing with our colleagues on the commercial bank side of things and see what they're seeing directly from their clients. So to that end, um, let me introduce our second guest. We have the privilege to be speaking with Janet Wishnia. Janet is the founder of American Blossom Women's and co-owner of ATD American and Thompson Manufacturing, a third-generation betting wholesale company. So Janet is going to give us an up-close and personal look at how businesses are altering their practices to meet shifting demand. And quite frankly, I think that it's quite inspiring, and very, very innovative. So let me welcome both of you, Anne-Marie and Janet, to our episode today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Tony. I'm happy to be here as well. So Anne-Marie, we're going to start with you. And let me just set the table by reminding folks that when we entered into the crisis, we essentially moved into a lockdown where we created a self-induced shock to demand in the economy. Uh, As we all went into this lockdown, 95% of the country, it really had a major impact on the ability of consumers to consume. And so in that context, the Congress and the president decided to support businesses and ultimately workers in a number of different ways. One of them was through the expansion of unemployment benefits for a longer period of time and with a higher amount. But one of the other provisions was the PPP program. Um, The PPP program has been vital in enabling businesses to essentially maintain their liquidity and their solvency through this very unusual and unprecedented period. So, Anne-Marie, if you could start, if you would please, by just giving us a high-level overview of the basics of this PPP program. Sure. And before I start, I want to remind everyone that I'm joining you here today as a member of M&T Bank's PPP leadership team and that my view should not be taken as legal advice. The Paycheck Protection Program 
It's really focused on providing relief to small businesses, which are the backbone of our U.S. economy. And in particular, the workers that day in and day out support these small businesses. So as part of an incentive to have businesses to keep their workforce on payroll during COVID-19, the PPP issues loan amounts that are based on the size of a company's payroll, and which are also scaled up to cover certain non-payroll costs, such as rent and utilities. Um, important thing to note is PPP loans are SBA loans, which means that they're 100% guaranteed by the SBA. And most importantly, they're eligible for full loan forgiveness up to the full principal amount and any accrued interest. A lot of companies wonder whether these are loans or grants. Um, absolutely, they could be grants. Uh, if you meet the program rules, you use the funds in the way that the um, SBA and Treasury intended, uh, these loans could absolutely become grants. One of the things that uh, you, you would need to do under the program is to maintain or rehire your workforce um, or uh, attempt to do so in good faith and meet some other program conditions. I want to shift gears to sort of the numbers of this program. With two rounds of PPP funding, Congress allocated $660 billion to the program. And as of June 6, there have been over 4.5 million loans made, totaling approximately $511 billion uh, issued to small businesses. Yeah, so it's obviously a very significant program in terms of its, its scale. One of the things that recently happened as well, in addition to Congress providing more money for the program, was in early June, they also changed some of the terms of the program. My understanding is they actually tried to make the program more attractive to potential users of the program. Um, maybe take us through that as well, if you could. On June 5th, Congress passed the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act, which really um, provided some important changes to uh, meet some feedback provided by both businesses and lenders to provide borrowers with additional time and flexibility to achieve maximum loan forgiveness. The stay-at-home orders was a bit of a curveball, and at the time when the program was stood up, I don't think that anyone anticipated how long many of the workers and the businesses would have to stay shuttered. So a couple of the important changes that this Flexibility Act provides is that it lengthens the time period that you can use the PPP funds from 8 to 24 weeks, but not later than December 31st. It also, most importantly, um, revises the payroll expenditure requirement from 75% to 60%. And this means that businesses can use 60% or they must use at least 60% for payroll costs, but they can now use 40% on non-payroll costs to cover overhead. Um, as part of examples of what this can cover, you know, it's business rent, business leases, and importantly, it, it actually expands the um, areas that could be covered, it does not just refer to real estate leases. It could be equipment or vehicle. So this really does provide flexibility for um, businesses to use the funds where they really most need it because your business may be closed, but there are certain overhead costs that you're, you're going to be required to pay um, throughout the months. I can see how this could be very helpful because 
one could certainly imagine a business that once you take the money, you really need to make sure you're going to stay afloat. And if you're very restricted in how you use these funds, you may be more unsure whether or not you're going to be able to make it. But with these additional accommodations, it really should promote more people to want to take advantage of it. Yeah. And one additional point I do want to make is all these changes, it really um, helps businesses become eligible for full loan forgiveness. But to the extent that they may not be fully eligible, the Flexibility Act also extends the deferral period. There is an extended deferral period beyond the initial six months. So that's another beneficial change to the businesses. Great. Well, thank you for that setting the stage for us, Anne-Marie. So Janet, let's, let's get you involved in the conversation if we could. So your business, Janet, ATD American and Thompson Manufacturing, in fact, did receive PPP funding. You're a, a client of M&T Bank. And our understanding is that this availability turned out to be pretty essential for you, but you also used it in a really interesting way, which we're going to get to. So Janet, I think the place to start would be if you could just give us some insight into what your business model was pre-COVID. And then from that, we'll talk about how you've used these funds to actually modify the business to thrive in a different environment. Sure. So uh, we've been in business for over 100 years. We are a family business. The business was actually started by my grandfather and grown by my dad and his two brothers. And we started out actually as a retail store in Center City, Philadelphia, but that morphed into um, they really didn't like retail, so they changed it to becoming a supplier of government. So the first uh, kind of segment of our business is we sell to government agencies. We sell various kinds of textile products, towels, sheets, uh, some clothing, uh, fabric. And um, over the years, as that business grew, we uh, started to get into the manufacturing business. And that was when we began to sell to um, the healthcare and hospitality trade. So we started out with a small manufacturing facility, and over the years it grew. And uh, actually, the day after 9-11, we purchased one of our competitors out of bankruptcy, a company called Thomaston Mills in Thomaston, Georgia. And we purchased um, their factory and their healthcare and hospitality business. And so that business has really been the biggest part of our business since that time. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the mix of businesses, and, and tell me if this is wrong, but it sounds like perhaps once the COVID-19 hit, you probably had some businesses where you saw demand dropped very, very radically, like in the hotel space. But on the other hand, you had the hospital space, which perhaps was a bit of a life raft. Yeah. Well, uh, for obvious reasons, you know, hotels shut down across the country and that that business did did go down a lot. Um, We had the hospital business and the government business as well, because the government has, you know, has a lot of hospitals and facilities that they still have to run. Um, and they obviously prisons and mental health facilities and things like that still need bedding. You know, we were still able to produce things for them during this time. Okay, so then the opportunity came to 
essentially tap this program, the Paycheck Protection Program, which yeah. you did. And yeah. did you essentially just fund a smaller, just the parts of the business that continued to have demand, or did you pivot and change in some way to actually change your, your footprint of business? Did both. We we wanted to take take out the you know apply for the PPP and and receive it so that we could keep all of our people working because especially as a family business we take that very seriously. We you know we feel very strongly about you know making sure that our people are taken care of. Obviously there was um you know a lot in the news about the lack of personal protective equipment of uh, masks and gowns in particular um and the the fabric that we use to make the sheets is a good fabric to make masks as well so one of the things we did was we reached out to our current customer base and also other people to make them aware that we had fabric to make masks and also gowns so we were reaching out because a lot of retail manufacturers were sort of also pivoting and were starting to make masks and gowns, people that made clothing. So we were reaching out to some new customers as well that we thought maybe could use the fabric. And the other thing that we did, or the second thing that we did, was we had purchased a uh, a plant that does textile finishing about two years ago. And that plant had the capability for... Um, putting a special finish on material that protected the material made it water resistant. It was called a level one water resistance. And this fabric is used to make reusable gowns. So we were able to very quickly um, get this fabric created, designed, and tested, and we began selling it, I guess, about a month and a half ago. It's incredibly inspiring because not only were you meeting the, the needs of your employees to be able to create activity to keep everybody busy, but you were also yeah. meeting a critical health care need for the country because we all yeah. remember the crisis, and, and it you know, hopefully doesn't happen again, but it may, where there was just not adequate PPE in, in many areas of the country. One of the kind of interesting things about this was, like in, in Pennsylvania, we had uh, – uh, a lot of people were working from home, but the people that actually worked on developing this fabric, it was one person in Pennsylvania, uh, one gentleman in, in, in Georgia who was our quality control person, and the plant manager in our South Carolina plant, all working from home, that were able to kind of get this going. And I think it's also really cool because it sort of shows the benefit of having control over your supply chain, whereas a Definitely. lot of companies right, where the supply chain may be offshore, it's a lot harder to pull something off like what you've been able to do. Now we find you at the point where you've got this new capability and you're able to furnish these gowns and, and masks and such. So the third okay. thing, we had actually begun developing another business before COVID started. We had developed a line of retail bedding. Uh, when the current administration came into office, there was a lot of publicity about Made in America products, and we thought maybe we would kind of go back to our roots and give a try at uh, the retail business. So we developed a product specifically for the retail market um, that uh, we started before COVID but really has picked up steam 
during this time, first of all, because it's an online business, and secondly, because it's a made-in-America product. And a lot of people, I think, are – you mentioned supply chain before. I think a lot of people are starting to think about supply chain now and where things come from. So we've been growing that yeah. business during this time as well. You know, it's interesting, Janet, because we hear a lot about supply chain. We think about it when we talk about a company like an Apple, for example, um, which obviously has um, a big dependency on China on the supply side as well as the demand side, for that matter. But um, And we don't think about it as much in terms of the smaller companies, typically. But when we went into this crisis, one of the things that we saw was that the smaller companies that had supply chains outside of the U.S., really had a lot less flexibility than the ones that um, either were vertically integrated that own their supply chain or that had their supply chains d- domestically with other companies were really, really able to pivot um, much more quickly to yeah. do well in this period. So now the question is, you've gotten to this point where you have the capacity to furnish these products that are needed urgently. How do you connect with the marketplace? How did you create the awareness that all of a sudden you had a new product line? I think each area was done a little bit differently. For the gowns, we uh, we reached out to different people that we knew were starting to manufacture, you know, the other businesses that were pivoting, sewing companies, and we were reaching out to them. We actually took various people in sales positions in our company and we sort of changed what they were doing. We pointed them in different directions. We reached out. We, we had a, a very big uh, plan to reach out to all of the government agencies because a lot of this uh, emanated from FEMA. We put all kinds of information out through email and social media and on our website. And with the retail product, we uh, did the same thing. We put out social media, and we put some information on our website, which is AmericanBlossomLinens.com. That's our retail website, and ThomasonMills.com is our hotel and hospitality website. And then our government is ATD-American.com. So all that information is there. Oh, that's great. And again, it's such an inspiring story because it shows so many different dimensions of your creativity in taking advantage of the PPP program, the efficacy of the PPP program. And not again, not only, only have you critically helped the economy from a public health care standpoint, but you've also helped your employees. So it seems success all around. One of the things I want to point out yep. is that um, is, is definitely the teamwork involved here. People really came together to kind of change what they were doing and move into something else really quickly. And that, that was really, really wonderful to see. I mean, I saw it in my own company and I saw it outside in other companies as well. And Janet, I think that to me personally, that really echoes the, one of the defining ideas or feelings of this moment that we're all living through is the is teamwork, even beyond our own families and companies, because the whole idea of wearing masks or being out there um, and keeping each other protected, um, it's almost like an honor system. It's almost like you know teamwork at the highest level in society. So I love the idea of that word and that idea. So Anne-Marie, let's bring you back in here and talk about more broadly about the program because when you think about all that money that has been transferred to the businesses for the PPP, do you have any sense at this stage of how much of that money has been used? Where do you think we are in that in that cycle? 
Sure. I mean, in terms of companies who have received the funds, I think the recent changes really helps um, businesses utilize PPP funds not only to keep their employees paid, but to start to think about um, how to make different moves in this environment, right? So, you know, originally you had to use 75% of uh, the PPP funds for payroll costs, but the recent rules have changed that 40% may be used to cover certain overhead. I think the realities of these times is you've had furloughed employees, you've had laid off employees, employees who um, you may not be able to rehire. So being limited to that uh, original standard in the original PPP rules, it, it did limit what businesses could do during this time with those funds. But I do believe that with this transition, it allows businesses to better prepare um, to to move forward and to um, focus on, on sort of the next stage. We had these two rounds of funding for the program, and everyone remembers the first round was sort of a, a feeding fest. And um, the money disappeared quite quickly. Not quite as much in the second round. And in fact, as we sit here today, the demand seems to have dried up quite a bit where there's still dollars to potentially be allocated. Do you think that the some of the recent, very recent changes that makes the program more flexible may pull in some more demand? Or do you think that pretty much everybody that needs it has gotten it at this point? What's your sort of sense of you know, why the second round hasn't been fully taken up nearly as quickly as the first? I think that many of the businesses who um, met the program requirements and the eligibility, they they applied during the first round. Um, although it seems like um, an, an open-ended uh, government grant, there are actual um, strict requirements under the PPP program, in, including the existing SBA rules. And these are my personal views only, but I think as people became and businesses became more aware of all the technical nuances to the program, it made a difference in their decision whether or not it would be in their best interest to apply. And to your point, with the relaxation of the 75-25% threshold, um, because funds are still available, it may... um, it may trigger some additional businesses to apply because uh, they would be able to use the proceeds as intended by the program. Um, I do want to remind um, everyone that although the cover period was extended to December 30th, the timeframe for the SBA to approve loans is still um, capped at uh, June 30th. So June 30th is, is the last date that businesses can apply. But to your point, um, in the next couple of weeks, we may see um, a a little bit of an increase um, in new applications if lenders are still Yeah, I guess especially with that that deadline coming, um, it's your last chance, (laughs) unless it gets extended. (laughs) um, But we haven't heard heard anything to that point. So so then just going beyond the PPP um, to sort of pull things together here, one last question for, for each of you. Emory, you are on the PPP leadership team in the in the commercial and retail bank. When you think about the experiences that our clients are are having 
in keeping their businesses running. Um, are you seeing other approaches or resources or other ways that they're adapting uh, that sort of showcase their, their creativity or innovation? I'm definitely seeing business leaders get creative in not only changing their business models, but how they think about utilizing their inventory. So, you know, at the wake of COVID-19, we saw local distilleries pivot to manufacture hand sanitizer to meet the public need, as well as find a new way to um, use what they have at the factories. Um, I'm also seeing, you know, restaurants that did not traditionally accept online orders and that are now successfully utilizing mobile and web-based applications for not only meal orders, but grocery orders. And uh, here at M&T, we're also seeing many clients that operate gyms or personal fitness and wellness businesses ship virtually overnight from an in-person model to providing their services through webcam or virtual sessions. And we have success stories where, you know, within a two two-week period, a gym went from providing zero online classes to over 40 weekly classes online. And, you know, if this model works, I suspect even when um, even when things open up, they may continue to pursue this other channel in providing services. So I think the availability of digital solutions, as well as the creativity and passion of business leaders like Janet, really have enabled many businesses to chug along during this time. The just accelerated emergence of, of digital is, is um, very profound. Janet, uh, the last question that I wanted to ask you is around your employees. So we've talked a lot about your business and the benefits of what you've been able to do for the owners of the business, yourself and your family, et cetera. How are the employees doing? They still need to cope with the idea of coming into work and deal with the, the risk that that poses and so on and so forth. And you know, you're a physical manufacturing business where you don't have the uh, necessarily the opportunity to protect people through digital um, the way that Anne-Marie just told us about. So what are some of the things that you guys may be doing to keep people safe or just make people feel they're being protected in this, in this environment beyond what may be, you know, the obvious, if you will? Well, at the plant, obviously, we provided masks. So we have locations in three different states. So we have Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Georgia. And I think the rules were different in each place. So, of course, we followed all the rules of the individual location. But we did things like staggering lunch hours, definitely did enhanced cleaning. We definitely, one of the things that we did was we tried to over-communicate as well. I think we did a good job with that. And specifically in our Pennsylvania office, We had a very small staff who did go to the office each day because we were considered an essential business in Pennsylvania as we were manufacturing for hospitals. But we made sure people were sitting apart. Once we found out we were going to be able to reopen, we definitely solicited people's opinions about what the best way to do things were. And we we, we really wanted to make sure that everybody was heard and that we could make everybody feel as comfortable as as possible. That's great. So let me summarize the three key takeaways from today's conversation. First, which I think really is the obvious one, is that in a very changing world and economy, businesses are finding creative ways to keep operating and to keep their employees at work. And businesses like Janet's were enabled to pivot and fulfill new needs with 
a newfound type of efficiency that was in a large way enabled by the government through this, this payroll protection program. So that's the first thing I would say is really the creativity and the innovation in this environment that the payroll protection program really allows for. The second is that returning to business the old-fashioned way um, is going to take quite some time. It's not just a question of reopening the economy and then seeing everything getting back to the way it used to be. The economy is reopening, but the ability for any business to survive may, in, in many cases, be quite different. And the business's ability to survive may be challenged not only past the time of the reopening, but past the time of when the payroll protection program funding ends or runs out. And so we may need to see continued support and continued creativity for businesses for a long period of time, particularly along the lines that Anne-Marie talked about in the case of non-manufacturing types of businesses in order to keep things chugging along, to use Anne-Marie's term, which I really liked. Um, and then lastly, on the more technical side, I want to make sure that folks understand whether you've already applied for a PPP loan or whether you are thinking about doing so between now and June 30th, is that the loan in its entirety can be forgiven, but you have to meet some key requirements. The most important ones are that while you have 24 weeks up to, again, December 31st, 2020, to deploy the funds and to use those funds, you can't go beyond December 31st in the expenditure of the funds. Um, and again, 60% of the funds have to be spent on, on actual payroll costs. But if you think that you meet those requirements, it could be a really good program or a good opportunity for, for your business. So with that, let me again provide a huge thanks to Anne-Marie and Janet for their insights. I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I encourage you to visit WilmingtonTrust.com for a roundup of our investment and planning content. You can subscribe to Capital Considerations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast channel to ensure you get updates on future episodes. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the sale of any financial product or service or recommendation or determination that any investment strategy is suitable for a specific investor. Investors should seek financial advice regarding the suitability of any investment strategy based on the investor's objectives, financial situation, and particular needs. The information on Wilmington Trust's capital considerations with Tony Roth has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy and completeness are not guaranteed. The opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the judgment of Wilmington Trust as of the date of this podcast and are subject to change without notice. Wilmington Trust is not authorized to and does not provide legal or tax advice. Our advice and recommendations provided to you is illustrative only and subject to the opinions and advice of your own attorney, tax advisor, or other professional advisor. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against a loss. There is no assurance that any investment strategy will be successful. Past performance cannot guarantee future results. Investing involves a risk and you may incur a profit or a loss. Any reference to company names mentioned in the podcast should not be constructed as investment advice or investment recommendations of those companies. Facts and views presented in this report have not been reviewed by 
and may not reflect information known to professionals in other business areas of Women Can Trust or M&T Bank, and may provide to seek to provide financial services to entities referred to in this report. M&T Bank and Wilmington Trust have established information barriers between their various business groups. As a result, M&T Bank and Wilmington Trust do not disclose certain client relationships or compensation received from such entities in their reports. Investment products are not insured by the FDIC or any other governmental agency, are not deposits of or other obligations of or guaranteed by Wilmington Trust, M&T Bank, or any other bank or entity, and are subject to risk, including a possible loss of the principal amount invested. Wilmington Trust is a registered service mark used in connection with various fiduciary and non-fiduciary services offered by certain subsidiaries of M&T Bank Corporation, including, but not limited to, Manufacturers and Traders Trust Company, M&T Bank, Wilmington Trust Company, WTC, operating in Delaware only, Wilmington Trust NA, WTNA, Wilmington Trust Investment Advisors, Inc., WTIA, Wilmington Funds Management Corporation, WFMC, and Wilmington Trust Investment Management, LLC, WTIM. Such services include trustee, custodial agency, investment management, and other services. International corporate and institutional services are offered through m Bank Corporation's international subsidiaries. Loans, credit cards, retail and business deposits, and other business and personal banking services and products are offered by m Bank, member FDIC. 2021 m Bank Corporation and its subsidiaries, all rights reserved.